0: grace and peace to you, and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called Us and Them, and the theme is, there is no us and them, there's only us. Pastor Sean will encourage you to see the world the same way Jesus does with something called love. That's how the gospel message reaches the world and those in need of a Savior. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. It's part two of the message, Learning to See. Pastor Sean is teaching from Luke chapter 7 and John 12. It's time for Radio for Real Life.
1: One of the things I just find fascinating is here you have this table of people and you see Jesus sitting and this woman comes and begins to minister to him and Jesus is looking at the woman and Simon is looking at the woman and they saw two very different things. They did not in any way see the same thing. And my question is, what would I see? What would you see if we're at that table, that woman comes in? Put it in a contemporary context. What would I see? Oh, God, this is weird. Oh, man, Um, maybe we should call someone. Isn't there someone to help with something like this? What would I see? What would you see? And what did Jesus see? See, here's the main point. What you see when you look at people depends on where you look. They were looking at the same person. They were looking at a totally different piece of the same person. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. What you see when you look at people depends on where you look. John Burke, in his book, Unshockable Love, shares, and he shared it with us here at the Real Life Conference, did a beautiful job, and it's really a powerful, powerful picture. One of his favorite paintings, he actually lived in Russia and got a chance to see this painting live. I want to show it to you. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's by Rembrandt. A beautiful picture, and it depicts the homecoming of the prodigal son after he squandered everything, just takes his half of the father's inheritance, squanders it on sinful living, comes home literally hungry and homeless, and not even expecting to be taken back as a son. I just go, My father's hired hands do better than I'm doing right now. I'll just go back and ask for a job. And he goes back, and, and you see the father with his hands on the son. What's interesting is you see other people looking around, and we know, that what others saw, including his older brother, was a homeless-looking loser who had done this to himself and deserved everything he was getting. And they were right, by the way. That's not, that's not inaccurate. But what the father saw is his beloved son, who he raised for something more, looking at the same kid, but they saw totally different things. And Burke tells about when he was in Russia and got to go to the museum where there's that that this painting is actually housed, and how he got to see it, and how that was a really monumental thing. But then he shared with us this illustration: What if I went back to the museum another time, and I went up through a back entrance, and there, in a dumpster, I saw a painting just covered in mud, torn, just basically ruined. But I noticed that that hand of the father on the son's shoulder, and I recognized it. That's a Rembrandt. That's a masterpiece. What would I do? And I go, well, it's ruined. It's discarded. We'll go find another. No, no, no. I would, I would get that out because I'd recognize that is a masterpiece. Yes, it's covered in mud. Yes, it's torn. But I would take it to a master to be restored. That's what I would do. I wouldn't throw it out because of some mud. And John shared, see, that's the case of every single first person on the face of the planet. We were created to be a masterpiece. We were created by God. And when Jesus looked at people, he saw the masterpiece. What do we see? Do we see the masterpiece or the mud? They think we've so conditioned ourselves to look at the mud because, you know, nobody wants mud on a masterpiece. But if all you do is look at a masterpiece that is coated in mud, all you see is a collection of mud that's ruined and is not worth your time. That's what the Pharisees saw. That's what's the problem. What do we see when we look at people? Do we see the mud or the masterpiece? There's a powerful understanding. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Now, Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. Even when we were dead in transgressions. See, there's not different levels of dead. Okay, I don't care what Princess Bride says. There is no mostly dead. No, no, you sinners, you were dead. I was only mostly dead. See, it doesn't work that way. No, we were dead. There's only one kind of dead dead. So when Jesus said one debtor owed 500 talents, the other owed 50, he's not saying there's different levels because the bottom line is our sin and the fact we couldn't pay it, we were dead. Stone cold dead. You and me. Every one of us, so covered in mud, we had no hope of restoration. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one. And look at this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What I find compelling here is the New Living Translation, translate this word, word, masterpiece, and that's a good translation. Handiwork's fine. Craftsmanship, that's fine. Translation. But masterpiece is also a beautiful translation. We are God's masterpiece, His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, if we who were dead are His masterpiece, created for something greater, do you realize every person, lost person on the face of this planet, is His masterpiece, created to do good works? And right now, the sin, the 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 mud or the stain of sin and brokenness is covering them and keeping them from what God created them from, just like it was for you and I. Exact same thing. As we think about that, I want to ask three questions. Really important questions. Here's the first question. I want you to write these down. Do I see people like Jesus sees people? What do I see when I look at people? What do I see? Because the answer to this is I know far too often what I see first is the mud. Now, understand something. Jesus Jesus sees sin. He hates sin because it kills the people he loves. It mars the masterpiece. But everything you see in the Gospels and how Jesus talked to people, in this particular case, he didn't bring up her sin. This is something that really bothers the Pharisees among us over and over again. It's like, Jesus, when are you going to blast them on their sin so that they'll straighten up? Well, Jesus understood the hurt and the pain of sin. And he actually was willing to go to the ultimate lengths to pay the penalty for that sin in giving his life. But everything, every conversation says he saw first what this person was created to be. He didn't just look at what they were. He looked at what God had intended for them to be. Do I see people like that? Do I look at people and I see the offense of their sin? Do I look at people and I see their political opposition or their their screamings and rantings at me, their criticisms against the church, their attacks on Chick-fil-A? Which is almost unforgivable, I will agree. Have you tasted the Chick-fil-A sauce? Mmm, have some church. (laughs) What do I see when I look at people? Do I see that this is a person who God loves passionately and who is a masterpiece in him was created for something beautiful? Or is my first blush at, oh God, look at that sin. You know, the politics of the same-sex attraction, sexual identity, and all of that has really made this us and them when it comes to the gay and lesbian community and the church. I, I want the politics out of that. I don't want politics at all. Because, see, there's no difference between them and us. They have attractions that the Scripture says God wants to set them free from, and I have attractions that the Scripture says God wants to set me free from. You know? I, it's just, we are sinners left to my own devices apart from Jesus, left to following my flesh, I will do things that hurt the heart of God and hurt other people and hurt myself, just like they will. I don't want us and them anymore. I just want us. And that's the truth. Our, our, but, but here's the thing. Before that can happen, we have to learn to look at people the way Jesus did. I don't think a lesbian walks up to Jesus and Jesus goes, ooh, a lesbian, hmm. Well, sister, I think Jesus sees someone who he loves and who Father loves. I think Jesus sees the masterpiece and he wants to make that person whole. Can we have the eyes of Jesus? What do I see when I look at broken people? He obviously saw them as worth his highest investment and sacrifice, his own life. He always sees sin and takes it seriously. But he saw it for what it was, mud on the masterpiece, not that person's identity. It changed that, the way he saw them changed how he engaged with them. What do you and I see and how do we engage with people who just like us, apart from Jesus, are lost and broken and far from God. See, what you see when you look at people depends on where you look. You're looking at the masterpiece or you're fixated with the mud.
0: And we want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Radio for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called Learning to See. The series is called Us and Them, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And if you've been blessed by this teaching and ministry, please let us know with a quick note at reallife.org. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry encourage others. Find the Give tab at reallife.org.
1: God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.
0: And now the conclusion to the message, Learning to See. This is radio for real life.
1: Second thing, do people see in me what they saw in Jesus? This is really interesting. This is very convicting. Do people, lost people, broken people, sinful people, gay people, whatever people you want to name or talk to, do they see in my eyes what they saw, what people saw in Jesus' eyes? Because see, I I believe there's a reason sinful people were drawn to him because he could they could tell he was for them and they could tell that he loved them. They could tell, they could look and see he loves me. And what's interesting, they all knew they were sinners. That's why they came to him. <laughs> he never had to tell them. They came to him mostly because they knew they were sinners and they needed restoration, they needed forgiveness. And what they saw was that he loved them. You know the story of the rich young ruler, a young man we're told is wealthy and comes to Jesus, how can I have inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He's setting this kid up. And Jesus lists some commandments, and he lists specific commandments. He doesn't list the first ones where it says, no other gods before me, no idols, anything like that. He specifically lists kind of the how we treat one another and murder lying, covetousness, that sort of thing. He lists those kind of human interaction commandments, which are very important, but he, he intentionally doesn't say the others. And the young man says, honestly, well, let me read it for you. Teacher, he declares, all these I've kept since I was a boy. This is Mark chapter 10. All these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him, and look at this phrase, and he loved him. He loved him. How did Mark know that? Mark is probably getting his source from, G, from Peter. How did Peter know that that Jesus loved him? Because he could see it. Jesus wasn't setting this young man up. He wasn't ready to blast him. He wasn't doing anything like that. He looked at him and he loved him. And then he said, and I can imagine with love and compassion, one thing you lack, Jesus said to this young man, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And what's interesting is Jesus said, then come follow me. Um, you do understand, Jesus didn't invite everyone to come and follow him like that at, at that point. A lot of people wanted to come follow him. He sent them back home. This young man, he literally invited him to come and become part of his disciples. We'd be talking about the 13 disciples. Wouldn't that be awkward? But this young man turned away because his heart had other Attachments that were holding him back from the very thing his heart wanted. But what struck me about that is they looked at him and he loved him. Do you realize the root of our self-image is what we see in the eyes of those most significant in our lives? So much of our self-image comes from what we see of ourselves, the reflection we see back at ourselves in the eyes of those who are closest to us. What do people see when they look through my eyes? My eyes. Turn the phone off. Thank you. (laughs) Listen to this. There's a book called In the Heart of Soul of Change. In the Heart of Soul of Change. Delivering What Works in Therapy. It's a text for therapists. The authors contend that four decades of research demonstrates that the most influential factor that changes a person during therapy is the relationship. Listen. How the therapist feels about the client makes the biggest difference. In over 100 studies, clients indicated it was not the therapeutic ideas or the techniques that helped the most, but the feeling of warmth, empathy, and genuine relationship that made the greatest impact on a person's behavioral change and life outlook. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? We're intuitive beings. We we can hang around someone and figure out, do they like me? Do they approve of me? Are they for me? And those are the people we're drawn to. I want to hang around with people who who like me, who see potential in me, who enjoy being around me. If all I see from people is, well, you need to change this, you need to change this, you need to change this. If all I see is judgment and condemnation, I'm going to be repulsed. And that's why sinners were repelled by the Pharisees. And they were drawn to Jesus because of what they saw of themselves in his eyes. You want to be someone who's a people magnet? be someone who believes in people and sees the masterpiece. It doesn't mean you're ignoring the mud. It just means the mud is incidental to the masterpiece, to what God created them to be, what God's intention for them is, what his heart for them is. It's fascinating. We understand that Jesus hates sin because it kills those he loves. But people, sinful people, didn't feel judged by Jesus. I imagine self-righteous people, self-righteous people kind of went away from Jesus with some bruises. Because he was pretty hard on self-righteousness. But sinful people who knew they were sinners never felt judged by Jesus. He didn't reflect that. In fact, remember what he said in Matthew 7? We talked about it last week. Judge not, lest you be judged. We talked about the illustration he used. How can you remove the speck from someone else's eye when you've got a beam in your own? Well, Do you know Jesus said multiple times this kind of fact that even he didn't come to judge? John 8, 15 and 16. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. And then he goes on. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't the double speak? But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. Oh, I stand with the Father who sent me. Father is ultimately the judge. But Jesus says, I I I don't. He says, if anyone hears my words, this is John 12, 47 through 50, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. That reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 3. The Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved didn't come to judge, but to save. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I've spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I didn't speak on my own, but the Father, there it is again, who sent me, commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commandment leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Even Jesus Christ was submitted and said, I didn't come to judge. Do you think Jesus was qualified? Remember when he told the, the religious leaders who had brought the adulterous woman, let him who's without sin cast the first stone? Has it ever occurred to you Jesus could have? And yet he said to the woman, I, I don't condemn you. It's not our job to convict and judge. And, and guys, for a lot of us, this is a bit of a paradigm shift, but it's not our job. John sixteen eight through 6, look whose job it is. Jesus is speaking, he's talking about the Holy Spirit says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And let me ask you, do you think the woman at Simon's house knew she was lost and in sin and needed forgiveness? Any doubt? I want you to understand, most people... Most people in their heart of hearts understand. I think lost people when being honest know they are broken and that something is wrong and we should be very careful about getting too caught up in the facade. We can all put up a facade. But in our heart of hearts we know there's brokenness and sin and we need a savior. Not everybody turns to him. Not everybody receives that. Not everyone accepts the gift that Jesus offers. But I think internally we all know something's wrong no matter how much of a happy face we may put on. Be careful about believing the press reports. And just understand the Holy Spirit is calling and convicting every single person on the face of the planet. They have that voice that says there's something more, you were made for something more, and your sin is going to kill you. We call it our conscience. There's something far more than just a conscience at work. There is the Holy Spirit speaking. Speaking. Do people see Jesus when they look in my eyes? Or do they see a Pharisee? See, what you see when you look at people depends on where you look. Last thing, I'll wrap with this. Am I willing to let God remove the mud of the Pharisee from me? Now, that's a tough one. This series, the book we're reading, Unshockable Love, we're reading it together. I just recommend it to you. John Burke's book, great book. It's very convicting. See, the Pharisees were not all bad. You need to understand that. They, they really were very sincere. Many were very sincere trying to preserve the faith. Yes, there were some who were just political and seeking power. But many were very sincere trying to preserve the faith. And when they persecuted Christians, they thought they were serving God. The Apostle Paul was a great example of that. There was a sincerity. But it was a totally misguided, erroneous sincerity. They felt that judging sin was advocating for purity, and what's fascinating is, as I've been walking through this and preparing this series, I am continually surprised by the residue of the Pharisee that I find in me. And folks, I'll be honest: I consider myself a pretty grace-filled person. I consider myself someone who tries to point people to Jesus and who loves people who are far from God. And I don't try; I don't lead with someone's sin. But I'm amazed in my heart of hearts how often I find intolerance or prejudice. And when I say prejudice, I mean prejudging. Judgment. Pride. Self-righteousness. Condescension. God, forgive me. Are we willing to have the Holy Spirit remove the mud of the Pharisee from us so that we can be the masterpiece that God intended for us to be so that we begin to see people the way Jesus does do you know what's gonna happen God wants to use this fellowship to reach lost people at at rates we've never seen before and I think this is a major piece of that puzzle so to speak us learning to see people the way Jesus does and us becoming so in love with Jesus and so aware of the masterpiece that he created in every single person that people see the love of Jesus when they see us and when we respond to them and when we interact. This doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sin, this doesn't mean we don't acknowledge what sin is. This just means we understand there's a whole lot more going on than the sin. The sin isn't the point. Removing the sin isn't the point. The masterpiece is the point. And underneath the most sinful, broken, vile, offensive person you might meet, there's a masterpiece that God loves and gave his life for and that he created for something amazing. How will it change my interaction with lost people when I see what God sees in them and that is reflected through my responses and my ministry and my love and my service?
0: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series Us and Them, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue and bless others. Again, look for the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Ratama Park, with service times on Saturday nights at 5 and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15 like to call the church the number is 210-490-5262 as radio for real life is a ministry of river city community church and we hope you join us again next time for more real life